it's good to be part of a team who want to do the Bible reading for you. <laughs> okay, everybody, the, uh, the Bible reading comes from Acts chapter 17 this morning, and it's verses 16 to 34. And those of you who've got the church Bibles, that's on page 1723. So it's Acts 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to the meeting place of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know this new teaching that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives, men, gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, that he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they'd heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, and a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, that you are a good God. Thanks that um, you're the God of the universe who grows your church. As we've seen in Acts so far as we've been on this journey, we've watched the church um, grow from nothing to something. Thank you that you continue to grow your church throughout history to the point where we meet today and you continue to grow your church. Lord, we thank you that your church is based, it's founded on the risen Jesus we pray this morning as we see this passage that you would help us understand what's going on, to see it, to believe, to be changed as we move out and go into our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. One of my um, favorite games growing up was Spot the Difference. And so I don't know if you've been playing that a little bit lately. Maybe you've got kids and you've had the chance. But because I don't think many of us had this morning, we're going to start by actually playing Spot the Difference. So up on the screen is uh, two pictures. There are nine differences and you've got 30 seconds starting now. Unfortunately, there is no prize this morning. If you can get all nine, you can go home and tell your family that you're a legend. There's 20 seconds left, though, so I guess I'm trying to distract you a little bit. The worst one's the girl's hand that has five fingers instead of four. Um, that's your time. So uh, because I know that many of us won't be able to move on from this, here's the answers, right? There are nine up there. Good job if you got all of them. All right, let's move on, Jacob, and try and forget about Spot the Difference. Um, but I love this growing up. It was one of my favorite games. In fact, as an adult, still love Spot the Difference. I don't think any of us can really argue with that. There's something you feel like you achieve when you spot all the differences, like you've beaten the game or something. You've accomplished something in your life. That's what I feel, at least anyway. And, and the older you get, though, the more you kind of realize that these Spot the Difference, they're easy, and they're made for you to spot the difference. And anyway, at the end of the day, even if you don't spot all the differences, nothing bad really happens, right? Nothing bad happens, it's easy, and it's sort of nothing's on the line. But not all things in all of life are kind of like that, right? Sometimes it's hard to spot the difference, and sometimes it matters. So one of the times it doesn't matter when it's hard is when you're choosing a white at Bunnings, and you can't figure out what color your, you know, white you need for your walls to match. That doesn't really matter. But sometimes when it's hard to spot the difference, it really does matter. And as we meet together today in church, as we think about this, one area where it really matters to get it right, to spot the differences, is when it comes to Christianity, right? When we think about our faith, what difference our faith makes, that, that's an area where it really matters. And so this morning, we're going to ask that question, what, what is the difference between Christianity and every other religion? What's the difference that we have? What's the difference between us as we meet here this morning and every other belief? What, what's the difference? And so if you have your Bibles there today, have them open in Acts chapter 17, because where we find Paul is at, it's answering kind of this question. It's speaking about the difference between Christianity and everything else. So have your Bibles there open in Acts chapter 17. It begins in verse 16. This is what it says. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him to and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. All of the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Clearly they didn't have Netflix. Now, now the question we've got this morning, what is the difference between Christianity and everything else? Well, Paul begins his journey in Athens. Now to understand what's going on here, we've got to understand Athens. Athens was a place back in the day where you, if you were a deep thinker or a philosopher, you'd probably go to Athens. They love talking about deep ideas. They love wrestling with these you know, big questions in all of life. When we think it to, uh, about that today, there's probably no city or you know, suburb or country really like that 
uh, today. I mean, in Brisbane, we want to be known for our deep thinking. The reality is we're just not. All we're known for is some guy in his jocks chasing down a guy that hit a fish and chip store. We're not known for our deep thinking. But there might be pockets in Brisbane where people are deep thinking. So kind of think of, you know, the university, maybe UQ philosophy lectures where people love dropping the name, you know, Descartes and other names of people who are also deep thinkers. That, that's kind of the pocket, the, the space where, you know, people go to wrestle with big ideas, deep thoughts. This is Athens. And as Paul goes to Athens, he's deeply distressed, as we see in verse 16. Deeply distressed. The, the word's literally angered, but he's not angered because, you know, he's around deep thinkers, which, you know, some of us might get angry around deep thinkers. That's not why he's angry. The reason he's angry is because he looks around and sees that the, the city are worshipping, it's full of idols. It's distressing to Paul. He, he is angered by the fact that people are asking big questions in life. Questions like, why am I here? Why, does, well, why am I here? What do I exist for? Big questions in life, thinking hard about life, and yet they're looking for the answers in the wrong place. He's angered by this. So, so what does Paul do when he's angered by this? Does he jump online, post on Facebook about how angry he is that the world is worshipping idols? Does he write letters to the newspaper, you know, that he's angered by the fact that people worship idols, that they're not worshipping the God of the Bible? What does he do? Well, well, like we've seen before, he goes to the synagogues, he preaches, and he also goes to the marketplace. And at the heart of his message here, at the heart of what he's saying is Christianity is different. Right? That's at the heart of what he's saying in the marketplace, in the synagogues. Christianity is different. And it's clear that that's what he's saying by how the city reacts. Right? And we see how they react when we meet in verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. So the Epicureans are the guys back in the day that their belief system was that there are gods or God that is unknowable, kind of detached from the world. Right? That's their belief. And so they'd worship God, they'd go to different temples, but they'd say, you know what, we can't know who this God is. This was the Epicureans. Today's version is probably agnostics. Right? We, we don't really know that there is a God. Uh, we don't really know who that God is, but there probably is a God. So that's, that's the Epicureans. Then we meet the Stoics, who if you call them Stoics like I did all week, sound far less impressive. But we'll stick with Stoics because that is their real name. Uh, they are the guys that kind of believe that God is in everything, right? So uh, God is in creation. They are what you'd call pantheists. God is the tree. God is the ocean. God is the sun. This is their picture. So today's version, they might be hanging out down in Byron Bay with a beard eating organic food because God is in this world. So on the one hand, you've got the Epicureans, right? God is unknowable, detached from the world. On the other hand, you've got God is in the world. God is everything, right? You wouldn't think they could agree on much, but it seems like they do. They agree on the fact that whatever Paul is saying, he's talking crazy talk, right? From the fact that he, they call him a babbler. Some say he, he's talking about foreign gods, you know, the kind of picture. He's talking about the dream time. He's a babbler. Now, babbler sounds bad already, doesn't it? I mean, if you got called a babbler, you don't think someone's giving you a compliment. It already sounds bad. But again, the word is literally speaking about something you have no idea about. So today's version is um, kind of a third-rate journalist, so, you know, uh, without pointing fingers at certain news websites, we all know the website I hope that we're talking about. 
news.com.au. The third rate journal, where you click on an article, and I'm, I'm sorry if you're here today and you're a journalist at news.com, but you click on an article that's like it's clickbait, so it wants you to click on it. You go in and then you realize that the person's got nothing in their article. Right, they just wanted you to click on that article. There's no substance to what they're talking about. Now, I can empathize with that because they have to pump out article after article after article. You know, that They might not have stuff to talk about. So I empathize with them, but that's kind of what a babbler is, where you are talking about something you don't really have anything to talk about. Basically, everyone who's ranting on Facebook at the moment about the cricket team, they are babblers. And uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics call Paul a babbler. Right? They are saying he doesn't know what he's talking about. Why? Because of what he's talking about. And we see that halfway through verse 18. What is Paul saying? Well, halfway through 18, we see that he, uh, they said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. That They call him a babbler because Paul is speaking about the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. Now, the reality is the message of the Bible has always been a divisive one. It's not really meant to leave people sitting on the fence. And what really gets them here is the resurrection, right? In, in, a, in a room full of deep thinkers, it's the resurrection that really gets them here because the resurrection doesn't really fit into our categories of thinking, does it? I mean, we all know, the Epicureans know, the Stoics know. We all know the unfortunate reality that all people die and there's really no coming back from that. And so the resurrection doesn't fit into our categories of thinking. It doesn't fit into their categories of thinking. And so when he speaks this, they think he's a babbler. They think he's talking about something that he doesn't know anything about. And so I wonder how you would react in that day and age. Right, hearing that someone had risen from the dead for the first time. I don't know it, how you'd feel, what thoughts would be running through your head. Maybe you'd think too that Paul would be a babbler. Maybe you'd have some questions about what he's saying. Maybe you'd ignore it altogether. Or maybe you would actually ask him to tell you some more, which is what happens with these people. Some people actually ask him to speak more about this issue and they invite him to the Areopagus, a place where you'd gather together, speak about new ideas, because as we learned earlier before, the Athenians in verse 21 love thinking about new ideas. And so they ask Paul, after calling him a babbler, to come and speak about the difference of Christianity. I don't know if you can feel the weight of what Paul has to do here. Can you imagine this? So imagine for a second that the University of Queensland asks you to come and speak at a philosophy lecture. Lecture. The, the lecturer has been paying you out all year for being a babbler, right? Paying you out because you have no idea what you've got to say. And you get to that lecture and you've got to present the difference of Christianity. You look out and there are thought out agnostics there. There are people who think the idea of God is stupid. You've got people like the Stoics who think God is in everything. People who think it doesn't matter which way you get to God. Can you feel the weight of that? Right? That's kind of terrifying. You've got to go there, present, uh, and knowing that the majority of people think you're an idiot for believing what you believe. H how would you go there? Right? It'd be terrifying. It'd be terrifying to, to be in that. But not only would it feel weird, I, I don't know what I'd say. Like, What would you say when you have to present what's different about Christianity? What does Paul say? If you have your Bibles there, have a look. What, what does Paul say? Verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way 
you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. Now, this is interesting here, um, because from in Acts so far, what we've seen is that uh, the message of, the, of Jesus has been presented to Jews, people who grew up with the Old Testament. And all the speeches so far in Acts have been how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. But Paul understands here now when speaking to people who aren't Jews that he actually has to change his way that he goes about missions. So he reads the culture well. He understands the culture. He understands that the way that he's been doing things so far isn't going to work and he changes tack. His mission is different because of the people that he speaks to. Pretty interesting that that's what he does here. And then what he speaks about is basically the fact that Christianity is different. Christianity is different to everything else, to everything they've heard, to everything they believe. And what he does is he gives them a 12-point sermon. Really, it's the quickest point sermon you'll ever, uh, quickest 12-point sermon you'll ever hear. It's 11 big points, and then a game changer is the 12. So if you have your Bible there, let's move through the 11 quickly, and it will be quick. So the first point is, in verse 24, God made the world. One God made the whole world. The second point is that that God is the King of the world, the Lord of heaven and earth. The third point is that He doesn't live in temples built by hands. God made the world. He doesn't live in a building, doesn't live in a house. The fourth point is that He's not served by human hands like He needed anything. I mean, what a freeing message that our God doesn't rely on us to, to take the world forward. He doesn't need us like He needed anything. The fifth point is that God gives life to everyone. He, he created everyone. We exist because God gives us breath. The sixth point in verse 26, God made all nations from one person. He made all nations and He determines the time set for them. A big deal for the Athenians who think they are God's gift to humanity. God determines where nations exist and when they exist. The seventh point in verse 27, God did this to make himself known, right? Really what he's saying here is God is not unknowable. The eighth point, verse 28, in him we have, we move and have our being. He's saying we are made in the image of God, or as their poets say, we are his offspring. The ninth point is that we can't make God like us, right, out of gold and silver. We can't create God. God is the creator. We are the created. That's the way it goes around. The tenth point is that now God calls all people everywhere to, to turn to Him. God calls all people everywhere to turn to Him. Now, it does say there that God, in the past, in verse 30, God overlooked such ignorance. What that's not saying is that God's not holding people who didn't know, uh, uh, that, that He's not holding them accountable but I think the best way to understand that is that in some way God is looking on them less harshly because they didn't know. But the, but the big point is it doesn't matter what happened in the past. The big point is what happened now and that God calls people to turn to him. That's the 10th point. The 11th point is that God calls people to turn to him because in verse 30, 31, God, has, um, God will judge the world in justice. God has set a day where Jesus will judge the world. But then here it is, the 12th point, the game-changing point. God rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. The proof, he has given proof to all this, uh, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. That's the big point there. That's the game-changing point in that final verse there. Jesus 
rose from the dead. And it's a game changer because depending on your beliefs, right, the first 11 points, you might believe certain aspects of that, right? The Epicureans might believe that, you know, God did make the world. They might believe certain aspects of that. The Stoics might believe certain aspects. You might believe certain aspects of that. But the 12th point there, Jesus rising from the dead, that's the game changer. That's the difference that we have as Christians. And it really is a game changer. It really does change everything, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's a game changer in every sense of the word, in every sense of the word. And it's a game changer in ways that, you know, we don't really use the word game changer like that these days. I mean, we talk about game changer, about things that aren't game changer, game changers, but the resurrection is. So a couple of examples of how we do this. Uh, So a few months ago, there was a news article by you know, news.com, about a game changer for Pokemon Go. And basically what it said is Pokemon Go craves a game changer for Perth business. So you click on that, right? Because you're interested. What, how is Pokemon Go a game changer for my business? And then you go in and realize that it just meant that they got to sell a few Sanchuros extra for about a month while people played Pokemon. I mean, a few of us were playing it for a bit longer than a month, but it was only a few of us. Right now, I'm not into, you know, I'm not a businessman, but as far as I'm concerned, a few Sanchuros going out the door, that's not a game changer. But there was a worse one than this that happened uh, after that one, actually before it, and that was a few years ago with Domino's. I don't know if you remember this, but four years ago, Domino's had this thing. They spent so much money on saying that they had this game changer. Biggest announcement in 20 years, it was a game changer. And at that point, uh, we lived in a house, I lived in a house with three other guys. Domino's was a staple of our diet, right? So a grocery shop for us was when we bought Coke and Fanta from Domino's. Um, and so this was big news in our house, right? This was a big deal for us. We were, you know, we were stressing out, tensions were high because we were wondering what the game changer is. Everyone was holding out, what's this game changer for Domino's? And then do you remember? It's just square pizza, with different toppings on top. Not a game changer. It's what we've all been calling pizza for years at home when our mum makes it because we don't have a circle pizza tray, right? That's, that's not a game changer. That's just normal pizza. And so we don't really know how to use game changer these days. But when we speak about game changer with Paul and what he's talking about here in verse 31, with the resurrection of the dead, it, it really is a game changer. It, it really does change everything because Paul understands in a room full of deep thinkers and smart people that if Jesus rose from the dead it changes everything it doesn't matter how smart you are if someone beats death they win it doesn't matter if you grew up thinking that God's detached from the world like the Epicureans. It doesn't matter if you think that God is in the universe. It doesn't matter if you think the idea of God is a stupid idea. It doesn't matter if you think that there are many ways from God. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. It changes everything because if he rose from the dead, it validates everything that he said. It validates everything he said. So when Jesus said big things like, I am the only way to God, his resurrection validates that. When Jesus said big things like, I am from God and believe in me and you can have eternal life, his resurrection validates that. His resurrection validates everything he did on earth when he said, I will pay for sin at the cross. 
Believe in me and you can have eternal life. The resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. It's what the difference that we have as Christians. And so in a room full of the smartest people, the deepest thinkers in the world, Paul gets that the resurrection is a game changer that changes everything. And really as Christians, this is what we have. This is what sets us apart. This is the difference that we have as Christians. It's that Jesus rose from the dead. This is everything to us. I mean, Paul speaks about it later in Corinthians where he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, so he talks about, he says, Jesus died, he rose, he appeared to 500 people. And then he says, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we of all people are to be pitied. He's saying, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we are wasting our time. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we should be doing something else with our Sunday mornings, our Sunday afternoons, our weeks. But... If he did rise, game on. The the game has changed if the tomb is empty. If Jesus rose from the dead, it validates everything. It sets us apart as Christians. No one in the history has risen from the dead, but Jesus did. And Paul is speaking about this. He's saying this is our difference. This is what we've got. And how do the people respond when they hear about the resurrection of the dead? Verse 32, when they hear about the resurrection of the dead, when they heard about it, there's three responses. Some scorn, some rejected, some want to hear more, and some believe. We hear about a man and a woman who believe. Some rejected, some want to know more, and some believe. The resurrection is what sets us apart as Christians. We are not the same as everyone else. Our belief is different to every else and the difference is the resurrection and so this morning we've got to figure out what we're going to do with the resurrection this morning we've got to think about that we've got to figure out take the time to stop and and think about this resurrection figure out what we're going to do with it if you're here with us this morning and you are and you're not a christian right we love having you here we do we hope you feel welcome we hope that you enjoy your time with us we hope that morning tea is still there we hope that you can come tonight and have free food we, we we love having you here but more than that we really want you to wrestle with the resurrection of jesus and really at the end of the day there's three responses that you can have to it the first response to the resurrection of jesus is that you can reject it but if you reject it which i i deeply hope that you don't but if you do reject christianity do it on the grounds that you don't think Jesus rose again. Please don't reject Christianity because Christians have hurt you. Please don't reject Christianity because the church has done a bad job at representing him. Please don't reject Jesus for anything other than when you look at the tomb, you see it empty, you think there's some other way. And so that's the first response. The second response is that you can want to know more, as these people did. As they heard about Jesus, you can want to know more. And if you want to know more, then the good thing is you're in the right place to know more about the resurrection of the dead. And so if you want to know more, we'd love to help you out in this. There's connect cards that hopefully you got in your service sheet. Fill them out and chuck on the back that you want to know more, and we'll do our best to help you out with that, to know more about Jesus. And when those collection bags come through at the end, don't put any money in if you're new or visiting. We, we want to make this the best time for you as we can, but chuck that card in that you want to know more, and we'll help you out with that. But then there's the third response that you can actually believe in Jesus, which is what people do when they hear about the resurrection of Jesus. This is our hope. This is what sets us apart. And you can actually do this. 
Today, you can actually believe in Jesus. Maybe you've been wrestling with this for a little while. Maybe you've been thinking about, is Christianity really the only way? Is there something different? How do I know that this is true? Well, as you look at the risen Jesus, you can make that step today to believe in Jesus. You can. People do here in Acts. They believe. And as we speak about Jesus, well, that's what we believe in the resurrection of Jesus. The best decision I ever made was to believe in Jesus. And so we want to encourage you to make that step today. And if you do that, right, there's no special prayer. There's no list you've got to tick off. It's just turning to Jesus, as we saw there, as, as God calls all people to turn to him, which is what repentance means. You can do that. And so there's the three options for you. But if you are here uh, today and you all are already a Christian, then the difference of Christianity, the difference it makes for us is in two ways. And we'll kind of finish with this. Don't zone out yet, though, because there's a little bit to go. But we'll finish with this. There's two ways that this plays out for us. The difference of Christianity for Christians means two things. Firstly, it's uh, with our thoughts. Secondly, it's with our actions. Firstly, inwardly. Secondly, outwardly. The first thing the resurrection gives us is assurance. Right? It does actually give us assurance. I've been there when I've sat down and asked, do I really believe this? Is Christianity what I'm signing off my life for? And the answer I love coming back to is yes, because Jesus rose again. We can have assurance that this is the right way, that this is the only way because Jesus rose again. And so if you're having doubts, if you're having doubts, if you're having questions about your faith, we're not meant to just put our head down and plow through it. We can have assurance about what we believe and we can look to the risen Jesus to feel that assurance. And, and when we meet people and talk to people that are having doubts, our answer needs to be to remind them of the risen Jesus. The tomb is empty. Jesus rose again. This is why our faith is real. This is what we hold on to. And we can have assurance about that. We can know that this is the right way to go. The second way that it plays out for us is outward. It's with our actions. The empty tomb is proof. It's proof that everything we need has been done for us. The empty tomb says everything has been done, been done for us. Religion says do to get to God. Tick off list to get to God. Jesus, Christianity is all about what's been done. And the empty tomb ha is proof of that. And as we see the empty tomb, it changes why we do what we do. We don't do stuff out of guilt. We don't serve out of guilt or to get God. We serve because God has gotten us. And if we look through all of Acts, but especially chapter 17 and 18, what we see is that Paul is serving not to get God, but because God has gone to great lengths to get us. As we think about our response to God, it's not to get God, it's not to tick off a list, it's because God has risen again. Everything we need has been done for us. And throughout this series, we've been talking about five M's. If you haven't been with us, that's okay. The fifth one is ministry. Basically, it's serving God. The reason we serve is not to get God. It's not out of guilt. It's because God has gotten us. The tomb is empty. It transforms the way we serve. It transforms the way we do ministry. It transforms us as a church. The resurrection is a game changer that actually changes God's people. We are different as Christians. We have a different message. And the difference lies in the fact that Jesus rose again. And that difference creates a different people, a people that turn to him and a people that live for him. So let's pray that God would help us to do this. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that the tomb is empty. 
Thank you that you rose again. Thank you that there's truth in that. Thank you that we can have assurance in that, that we can know this is what our faith is based on. It's the risen Jesus. God, we pray that you would help us wrestle with this, live out of this truth. We pray that it would transform us individually and as a community. We pray that we would hold on to the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray this in his name. Amen.